During Lent, we are considering intersections in life or crossroads, and today is the crossroad of freedom and slavery, or good news and bad news. I heard Nadia Bowles-Weber say this week that a typical sermon preached says, here's the problem, and here's what you should be doing about it. Basically, try harder, which repeatedly gets sold to us as good news, not only in the church, but also at the gym or in the marketplace, try harder. But the thing of the matter is, try harder isn't good news at all. It's really bad news. And the Apostle Paul has a take on why it's bad news. Our scripture passage today is from Paul's letter to the Romans. And this is a passage that has been the source of spirited debate by many theologians. As I read it, I want to ask you to pay attention to how many times the word I occurs and also the concept of law. This is Romans chapter 7, beginning with verse 14. Paul wrote, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, is it no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me? So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to this law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So this is a letter from Paul to the house churches of Rome. It's 12 verses of scripture that I read. In English, I counted over 30 times the word I or me or my. It, also be, it almost becomes a tongue twister. <laughs> but it's no wonder that both Augustine and Martin Luther read this passage, and when they read it, they saw a reflection of their own personal conversion experiences. A wretched man rescued by God through Jesus Christ. More recent scholarship, including that of N.T. Wright, claims that Paul is not just referring to himself in this passage, but to Israel they refer to the enigmatic eye or the puzzle of the eye in these verses. And they say that the eye is a rhetorical device, not only referring to the individual apostle, but to a greater extent pointing to the people of Israel as the eye. Paul's purpose is to describe from the inside the plight of Israel under Torah. The law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, he writes. Paul wants the Roman Christians to value the necessary journey of God's people from law to the Messiah. 
A similar scenario is to say that Paul in this passage is talking about the plight of Adam. I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate. And even Adam's descendants. Because in verse 21 are the words, evil lies close at hand. Evil lies close at hand. Much like what the Lord said to Cain when Cain is angry right before he kills his brother Abel in Genesis chapter 4. Sin is crouching at your door and desires you. When I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. And then still other scholars say that this is Paul pointing to the struggle of the Gentiles when they have been introduced to Torah, because that is truly Paul's calling, the good news to the Gentiles. And quite practically, most of his audience in Rome are Gentile Christians. And so he writes, I agree that the law is good. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. Okay, so I don't know which of these scenarios is correct. I really don't. But it occurred to me this week, it doesn't much matter for the faithful reader of Romans chapter 7, because any of these scenarios includes you or me. We are covered under any of these umbrellas, theological umbrellas, and should be able to understand what Paul is talking about in whichever context he is addressing. What Paul is describing is a human condition in the present tense, not the past. And so we might pull St. Augustine and Martin Luther aside in heaven and ask them if the struggle that they saw in this passage went away after they believed the right thing about Jesus. I feel certain they would say it did not. We do not win the struggle that Paul is describing once and for all by simply thinking the right thing one time. (laughs) The human condition Paul describes is a divided mind. I do not do what I want, but I do what I hate. Sometimes sin is so near to me, it's as if it's crouching at my door, and sometimes sin pounces on me, and I do the very thing that I hate. Too often, I think the church has defined sin by listing particular transgressions, and this might be helpful for children. Don't do this, but do this. But for adults, I'm afraid that a list of particular sins can just be shame-inducing, so we don't talk about it much in the church. It's, it's painful. It's shameful. And this, I think, leaves us with a very childish faith. James Allison is a Catholic priest, and he's a systematic theologian. And, and that's who you saw in the video just a few minutes ago. I like his definition of sin as anything that can be forgiven. Anything that in the light of God's grace we recognize is a diminishment of ourselves or of other people, and we say, I don't want to do that anymore. That's how Allison describes a sin. Lisa Sharon Harper is an author and teacher, and she says that sin breaks any of the relationships that God declares to be good. Our aim is right relationship. Our souls are made, created for belonging. So sin is an act that breaks right relatedness. And then theologian Dallas Willard's definition of sin was quite close to these. 
he used the word alienate to describe sin. And I really like that word for a definition of sin. Willard wrote, sin is the natural condition of the material world when it's alienated from God. You know what a world alienated from God looks like? Do you know what it feels like? It's hurried. It's narcissistic. It's entitled. It's anxious. It's angry. It, it looks for someone to blame. I heard Nathan Foster, a disciple of Dallas Willard's, say this week, it's no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. Feeling maladjusted these days? <laughs> that just might be a good thing. Better to be maladjusted to values that breed alienation. Willard taught that as individual people, over time, alienation or sin can become lodged in the habits of our bodies. So we act it out. We act out alienation. He also taught that overcoming sin involves using our body to retrain ourselves. One of Willard's students, a woman named Elaine O'Rourke, said, If you were coaching a baseball team that consistently lost due to errors or mistakes or poor performance or bad morale, you wouldn't take them into the locker room and yell, Try harder! or call the players idiots, or losers, or failures. Yet this is how we tend to treat ourselves when facing the consequences of our sin. Trying harder and berating doesn't work. But training sure can. Retraining sure can. A good baseball coach knows that better players lose less. So it's back to the basics and cheering on the team. And it's the same with life. We don't get more freedom by just trying harder. We gain more freedom by training. And spiritual training allows us to make the kinds of decisions that lead us to connectedness with one another and with God. You see, this intersection of the road to freedom and the road to slavery it comes up often on the map of life, over and over and over again. We are given the opportunity to choose freedom, to take the path of life. Dallas Willard was well known for using a phrase, sin management. He used the phrase sin management to describe the distraction of the modern church. He said that sin management relieves the guilt that we all walk around with because we keep breaking relationship, because we keep choosing slavery, and we have no real interest in transformation, or as John Wesley described it, sanctification. Willard taught that there are two angles on sin management among us. The right and left gospels is what he called these angles on sin management. Conservative Christians, or the right gospel, practices what he called vampire faith. They require from their adherence and acceptance of Jesus' blood. That's the vampire part. 
And Jesus's blood then grants relief from the terrors of hell. And that's it. Just a one-time profession of faith and you're done with sin. These Christians ignore the fact that the intersection of slavery and freedom comes up repeatedly in life. They're oblivious to it. But then there's also the left gospel. Liberal Christians do sin management, Willard wrote, through Pharisaic activism. So it's about acts of righteousness, benevolent activity that raises the confidence of our virtue. If you live a squeaky clean life, they claim, you won't have much need for God. So these Christians are uh, spinning donuts in the road, turning and turning and turning and getting nowhere. And I believe that Willard would have nothing to do with either of these distortions, and neither would the Apostle Paul. Paul doesn't want the Romans to simply manage their sin and relieve their guilt. He wants them to find freedom. He wants them to find freedom from sin and alienation and separation. Paul wants Christ-like character in himself. And he wants Christ-like character in you and me as well. Dallas Willard died in 2017. And I can remember that at the time of his death, people spoke of his Christ-like character. I also remember that his 14-year-old granddaughter spoke at his memorial service. It's worth looking up online. She gave a five-minute talk. Here's one of the things that Larissa Heatley said about her grandfather, the great Christian philosopher. She said, he taught me to love everyone. He had unconditional love for every person that he met. And then she paused. She looked over to the side and she said, I got to work on that one a little bit more. But my grandfather had it perfect. Transformation, freedom from sin. The very good news is that we are forgiven. The good news is that we need God and that God always meets us in our need and is willing to never leave our side. Will you pray with me? Come Holy Spirit. Would you fuel our hearts for the long road ahead? Strengthen each of us to choose relationship and connection. Strengthen us to release alienation that's lodged in our habits, that's lodged in our bodies. We seek more freedom. We seek you. Would you open our eyes to the many places that you are found? You are with us on this journey. We ask these things in the name of the one who always shows us the way, Jesus the Christ. Amen.